The company in question here is the German software giant SAP, who wound up paying a fine on penalties and disgorgements and whatnot. But the total number that they're paying is 220 million, which even for a large company like SAP, I'm sure is not chump change. They have been implementing a raft of compliance reforms. And I believe, Tom, they do have a deferred prosecution agreement, but they do not have a compliance monitor. That was Matt Kelly. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. In this week's episode, Matt and I take up the SAP, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act enforcement action, which was announced last week. We consider the bribery schemes, the scope of the corruption, the role of internal audit, and lessons learned for the compliance professional. I know you'll enjoy this episode. First, we're going to have a word from our sponsor, Ethico. In the intricate world of ethics and compliance, each second is precious, and slow case closures are more than just delays, they're missed opportunities. Enter Ethico. Our solution revolutionizes case management, cutting case closure times in half, and turning every challenge into a chance for improvement. Imagine a workspace where efficiency and compliance coexist harmoniously. Don't just dream of faster resolutions, make it your reality. Visit ethico.com slash CPN today to book a demo and dive into our exclusive white paper by Tom Fox, 2023, the year in compliance. Empower your team with the tools they deserve. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds, recording this on Martin Luther King Day, 2024. Welcome, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, we had uh, the first FCPA enforcement action for 2024 announced last week on Wednesday, January 10th. And I will say the DOJ and SEC came out swinging with a bang. You want to set us up for this story? I do. Sure. So the company in question here is the German software giant SAP, who wound up paying a fine on penalties and disgorgements and whatnot. But the total number that they're paying is $220 million, which even for a large company like SAP, I'm sure is not chump change. Uh, they have been implementing a raft of compliance reforms. Um, and I believe, Tom, they do have a deferred prosecution agreement, but they do not have a compliance monitor, if I am remembering everything right, um, for FCPA activity, bribery violations that happen in South Africa, several other Central African, East African nations, um, Indonesia, Azerbaijan, uh, a lot of the same stuff that we have heard many times now, where a local subsidiary of the big corporate parent uh, some characters there are working with third-party intermediaries to uh, win a contract. And in this case, you know, they provide software for government agencies. I'm sure that SAP is uh, plenty of opportunity to brush up against FCPA risk. And apparently in these, I think it was a total of seven subsidiaries, they reached out and grabbed that FCPA risk. Um, so I think, you know, I'll give you one example from South Africa uh, that in 2014, the South African subsidiary, they closed on a $4 million deal with a state-owned rail and logistics company called Transnet. And along the way, SAP had hired this well-known South African tech company that was owned by one of the many, or probably not many, 
wealthy families in South Africa, very well connected. Um, and allegedly that South African tech company, the broker was going to help arrange the deal for a 10% commission. Um, but of course, in reality, none of this was true. The tech broker, the tech firm, they did not actually provide any services. They didn't go to any of the meetings. This was clearly just a bribe. Um, and it was a lot of stuff like that, that these third-party intermediaries working on sales commissions in various places around the world, um, they were really just fronts for SAP subsidiaries to get bribes to the government officials in exchange for winning business contracts. Um the big issue, I think, is, well, two that jump out to me, is that, number one, SAP did have on paper a really good-looking FCPA compliance program. Its policies and procedures seem very thoughtful, and yet uh, they were faulted, at least in the eyes of the SEC, by lacking entity-level controls over the subsidiaries to uh, dissuade them from in, in, engaging in these uh, shady business practices. Um, and then also SAP did an awful lot of remediation, and that includes getting rid of sales commission-based third-party transactions, I think worldwide. Um, no more sales commissions for any contracts with public agencies around the world. That might be an FCPA risk. But yet again, Tom, and we've talked about this before, a big structural change in how SAP makes money. Um you know, this all went on in the 20, mid 2010s from, I think, around 2014 to 2019. Uh, and this is SAP's second FCPA violation. They had one back in 2016. And it is their third recent settlement because they had a national security sanctions thing that they had to settle in 2021. So as we talk about recidivist behavior and where do these fines come from and what the settlement is, there's an awful lot to discuss here. Uh, I absolutely agree, Matt. The numbers here were pretty astounding. The Department of Justice reported uh, benefits or revenue generated from bribes paid at over $103 million by SAP. Um, the, although not all of the amounts of bribes were reported in both the SEC order and the DOJ information, uh, I recorded uh, $7.8 million uh, in uh, bribes paid, uh, even if that's doubled, still pretty good return on your investment, and I'm sure many companies are looking at that. The uh, breadth and scope of the SAP corruption and illegal activity was truly stunning. Uh, South Africa, Malwai, Tanzania, Ghana, and Indonesia, and Azerbaijan all um, were involved, or countries where uh, illegal conduct was involved. We also had, um, you know, pretty clear culture, of, if not corruption, certainly of noncompliance across the organization. In addition to the recidivist behavior and the um, national security non-prosecution agreement, there were administrative agreements noted with the Department of Commerce and the Department of Treasury relating to export control violations uh, that were considered. Uh, all of these were mentioned in the Department of Justice's <clears throat> uh, deferred prosecution agreement as part of their calculus for determining the overall fine and penalty. Unfortunately, we don't know what those mean. Uh, did it, was it a plus? Was it a minus? Actually, no way to know. It just was noted 
So I wish we could get a little more clarity from the Department of Justice around how those specific actions and other settlements with other departments and agencies factored into the overall assessment. And then um, was uh, how did that factor into culture? We're just not getting any information from the department on these matters. So um, lots of questions. The um, Given the conduct, uh, the amount of monies paid, and the overall uh, breadth and scope of this, one might, I think, ask how on earth did SAP get the settlement that they got of just over $222 million total in fines and penalties? Or should the question be, how did they make this comeback to get this stunning settlement, given what we saw of conduct, recidivist behavior, and other nefarious acts as sanctioned by other U.S. department agencies? Well, Tom, I'd, I'd like to start with the penalties first off, because I don't get this. Um, and everybody listening just before we got on the podcast and started recording here, I was doing some math about these penalties. So as part of the $220 million total settlement, SAP paid $118.8 million in a criminal penalty. Now, the actual range under the sentencing guidelines for this sort of misconduct, according to the Justice Department's DPA, uh, was 180 to $360 million. And that's a big $180 million range, 180 to 360. Uh, but because of all of the good stuff that SAP did, but it did not win self-disclosure credit because the South African press first broke this story and launched everything, um, they wound up with a 40% discount off of the 10th percentile of that 180 to 360 range. Now, one-tenth of 180 is 18. 180 plus 18 is 198. 40% off of that gets you to the $118.8 million criminal penalty I mentioned a minute ago. I'm doing all of this math out loud because that is what they got for failure to self-disclose, but to do a lot of remediation and cooperation. On the other hand, Tom, my understanding is that according to the Justice Department's corporate enforcement policy and now enshrined in the compliance guidelines, the standard starting point for if you hit all things, if you do self-disclose, if you do remediate, if you do cooperate, you get 20%, 25% off the bottom. The bottom is 180. 25% off of that would have given you $135 million of a criminal penalty. So, Tom, I am confused here that they are paying less of a criminal penalty, even though they missed one of the criteria, than if the Justice Department had said, well, you didn't hit all three criteria, but eh, we're just going to say that you did, and then you're going to get to 25% off the bottom as usual. They would have paid a greater penalty. So I am confused, Tom. I, I know my arithmetic checks out, but I don't know where the logic breaks down here that did we, the taxpayers, get the short end of the stick here? Is the Justice Department being especially generous, or what are compliance officers supposed to take from this voodoo math that I just did? I don't know what's going on. Well, uh, actually, it occurred to me uh, in your description what happened, Matt. 
which was that under the prior FCPA corporate enforcement policy, the discounts uh, could be between 50 to 25 percent uh, with self-disclosure. She correctly noted no self-disclosure here. But under the new corporate enforcement policy announced in 2023, that went to 75 percent okay. potentially. So I think that's uh, I think that's the answer. But I only think that. And I say that because the sentencing guideline formula is uh, a really difficult black hole to figure out. I've been trying to do this for years, and I would cite in this case uh, the culpability score, which is appropriately noted in the DPA. There are additions to add on to the culpability score, which would enhance a fine range. There's also discounts. And there are discounts for cooperation, acceptance, and for self-disclosure. Those can total up to five points. And it used to be if you cooperated and accepted, you would get three to four. Well, under this formulation, it's two, meaning they lost three potential discounted points for uh, failure to self-disclose. It's pretty clear to me the DOJ is emphasizing they really, 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 really want you to self-disclose. So they're putting uh, a lot of stock around that. There was a couple of things, uh, Matt, that um, SAP also did, which were set out in the DPA I wanted to highlight. Uh, one, uh, root cause analysis and a gap analysis Um we don't always see companies engaging in a root cause analysis, so, so I thought that was worth calling out. And then they called out uh, later that the company uh, had um, amped up its uh, data analysis or expanded, rather, its data analytics capability to cover over 150 countries. So once again, we see data analytics called out. Of course, you noted the... Uh, bonuses withheld, and although the amount was relatively small at 109000 I got a whole paragraph, mm -hmm. and that was uh, noted for uh, credit given to SAP. So I guess, Matt, the thing is the DOJ is giving us roadmaps as to what companies are doing that are garnering these, I think, just incredibly uh, excellent results in terms of an overall fine and penalty. And I know we harped on that with the Albemarle enforcement action from 2023. And I think right out of the bat, I'm getting the same impression here in 2024 with this SAP action. Well, you know, Tom, I was just doing more arithmetic as I was listening to you. So if the new guideline is up to 75% off the bottom, that would have potentially knocked down SAP's criminal penalty from 118 all the way down to 45 million from a potential of 180 and then they got it adjusted upward and downward to 118. It, so if they had hit on the self-disclosure, potentially they could have walked away with something as small as $45 million. Um, that does certainly underline the value of voluntary self-disclosure. Tom, one thing I wanted to talk about was more from the SEC's settlement documents, where they talked a lot about SAP lacking entity-level controls over its subsidiaries. Um, and what I'm curious about here is, yes, the Justice Department said, good for you, SAP, you did a root cause analysis. I don't think anywhere in the DPA it actually says, and the root cause was this. Well, 
If you look at the Securities and Exchange Commission settlement order, it talks a lot about what might be the root cause. Um, now, as I said earlier, SAP did have a really good-looking policy and procedure for FCPA compliance issues. Uh, I will give you just a quick example. Employees were required to perform due diligence on all third parties. The third party could have no family ties to SAP customers or to foreign government officials. The third parties working on sales commissions had to have all of those terms and the payment terms, everything put in writing. So on paper, that looks good. And what went wrong? Well, according to the SEC, that they had lacked entity-level controls over the subsidiaries in South Africa, Indonesia, Azerbaijan, and elsewhere. Now, entity-level controls, what would those potentially be? That would be something like a code of ethics, a code of conduct, audit testing and reporting of your FCPA compliance program in the subsidiaries, training manuals, other sort of you know basic block and tackle things like that. And were those not up to strength in the subsidiaries? And that is why, essentially, it looks like the subsidiaries just could disregard all of the FCPA compliance things, which looked so good on paper back at the headquarters. Um, I do think it it's interesting that it underlines the importance of a strong internal audit function, because for all of the documentation about you know, these fixers and these intermediaries, and they're working on this deal or that deal. But of course, they did no actual work. Some people might say, well, where was internal audit? Did they not figure out that these fixers had no show jobs? Actually, internal audit was kind of sort of there in this story from time to time. On at least one instance, I think in the South Africa case, an internal audit did turn up that, uh, no, this fixer was not actually doing anything. But no action was then taken afterwards. So is that because the internal audit went to those local subsidiary chiefs who had no entity level controls and then put that report in the bottom drawer? Or did those audit reports go all the way up to the corporate headquarters in Germany and then somehow nothing got done? I'm not clear on all of that. But um, it, if we, the rest of us, are thinking about how could we avoid a situation like that, it would partly be avoided by having a very strong internal audit function that could identify these issues in various parts of the enterprise and then make sure that they go to the central headquarters and that headquarters can then take action. Um, you know, geographic boss up at the headquarters down to the local subsidiary boss, say, you have a problem, take care of this. That was one big thing that I walked away from with this case, looking at the role of a strong internal audit function, how useful it could be kind of sort of was here, but not really quite. And look at the mess that we wound up with. So Matt, that was the work where the third parties basically didn't do anything or were no-shows was around the energy company Eskom. And that contract was for 28.85 million. There was a lot, also a contract at 35.4 million with the Depart South African Department of Water and Sanitation. And what struck me about that was uh, once again, pointing to having the internal controls in place, SAP had an internal control which required any commission at 15.0% or higher to be uh, to have additional scrutiny at a higher level within the company, probably yeah. meaning the home office. Well, all of the contracts with the fixers and other third parties for this Department and Water Sanitation contract, or DWS, were at 14.9%. 
Um, any auditor who looks at uh, expenses or anything from the fraud perspective, they look for split payments and payments at 1% or 1 cent above or below, rather, the uh, maximum limit. So when you start getting expense receipts for $74.99 and $75 is the level at which you have to have additional approval, obviously that's a red flag. So someone wasn't paying attention there. And it really points to the need to, you have to look beyond simply were they under the 15.0% because at 14.9%, it was pretty close. And that's how they were able to garner uh, or generate rather over $525,000 for um, bribe payments on that contract. So uh, those examples, the example you gave, and then that one I think really show the need for not simply the controls in place, but the robust nature of what internal audit needs to do. And they have to sometimes look beyond simply ticking the box. Are we below 15 percent? Yeah, I think that's very true. And then, Tom, the other big point that jumped out to me was, as we had mentioned earlier, that SAP ended uh, these sales commission-based structures for third parties, um, that they have ended that, uh, I think, worldwide and certainly for all of the public procurement in high-risk nations. But yet again, this is, and we kind of seen this in other previous cases lately, one of those sort of irreversible acts that, you know, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb if SAP returns these sort of payment structures at some point in the future. Um, they are making a deep commitment to reducing the ways that corruption might happen. Look, man, I'm sure corruption could still happen some other way, but this is the time-honored way to pay somebody a bribe is to do something like this. And now SAP is eradicating that choice from its uh, whole organization. Um, some others have pointed out to me, by the way, that this is the same sort of commission structure that tripped up Embraer uh, back in 2016 when they had their own FCPA settlement. And a couple of compliance officers I've chatted with over the last few days, they, as far as they're concerned, they'd love to get rid of commission-based sales incentives for third parties all over the place, You know, period. But it does seem like a good prophylactic measure to take for any company that has uh, potential FCPA risk, just get rid of these sales incentive structures because they seem like they turn up in these enforcement actions all the time. But they allegedly now will not turn up at SAP anymore because SAP has dumped them. You know, Matt, that's a great point. That's something the DOJ and SEC have talked about literally since 2004 going forward, and companies are still utilizing those uh, same demand side or excuse me sales side strategy so hopefully uh the message will get out that is there a way for us to maybe end this podcast with i don't want to say a summary but perhaps final thoughts on the the meaning of this settlement uh i think it is more information for the compliance professional to utilize um about what to do if you find yourself in this situation uh do, do you really see it that way, or do you, are you seeing a different message from the regulators? Well, no, I think that there's a lot of different takeaways for compliance officers. Number one, you can look at some of the substantive changes and remediation steps that SAP had to take that clearly pleased the Justice Department and the SEC quite a lot, um, such as doing that root cause analysis, such as a big investment in the compliance function. 
um, elevating the role of the compliance professionals. They're putting more money into it, hiring more people, more money into data analytics. The structural change of getting rid of the sales commissions for third parties, which we just discussed. Like, there's a lot of what should I do answers to that question in this enforcement action. But Tom, I also think it just there's that bigger thematic point that we discussed earlier about the penalties that clearly if you self-disclose, that can be a big thing. I mean, that would have been worth a lot of money to SAP, uh, except for the fact that uh, the South African press got wind of this corruption first and blew it out into the media. So that self-disclosure credit went away. But the Justice Department still it seems to me like they were looking for ways to give a lot of credit to SAP anyways for what is legitimately a really not good look here. This is some pretty far-reaching corruption that went on you know, as late as I think 2019. That is not the Stone Age in FCPA history. And SAP is not a small company. They have had previous FCPA resolutions in the past. They should have known better. So this is legitimately like, this is not a good thing for SAP. And still, given all of that, they got a pretty good resolution given the circumstances because they did everything else that they could, but they didn't have that self-disclosure. And then I sat down and did my math with you, and we find out you know, the self-disclosure really could have made tens of millions of dollars in difference, potentially. And that's also something to keep in mind when you are talking with your board at your own company back home about what should we do for starters, self-disclose, because it could save you a lot of money. Matt, I can't wait to see what next week brings us. Thanks, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. The Compliance Podcast Network is sponsored by Ethico. Ethico provides compliance champions like yourself an ethics and compliance optimization system built to turn goals and guidelines into real ROI for your program. We've linked to Ethico in the show notes, but if you'd like more information, go to ethico.com slash cpm if you've enjoyed this episode i hope you'll subscribe rate and review to compliance into the weeds or any of the other podcasts on the compliance podcast network that you'd have enjoyed we'd love to hear from you you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com compliance into the weeds is a production of the compliance podcast network i hope you'll join matt and i again next week This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.